Welcome to Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. This is Tuesday, April 21st, and this week I have dedicated to focusing on the revival in the Hebrides, known as the Great Hebrides Revival. Yesterday I gave some background and a little information about the revival, and today I wanted to read an excerpt from a message that Duncan Campbell preached in 1968. I found a transcript of a message um, where Duncan Campbell gives very clear detail about what happened. He's an eyewitness account. He is what I would consider a witness account. And so I wanted to um, use that transcript and read that about what had taken place uh, on the Isle of Lewis in the village of Barbas, according to Duncan Campbell. Again, this is a transcript from a message that he gave in 1968. Duncan Campbell says, There are two things that I would like to say in speaking about the revival in the Hebrides. First, I would like to make it perfectly clear that I did not bring revival to the Hebrides. It has grieved me beyond words to hear people talk and write about the man who brought revival to the Hebrides. My dear people, I didn't do that. Revival was there before I ever set foot on the island. It began in a gracious awareness of God sweeping through the parish of Barvis. Now, I am sure that you will be interested to know how, in November of 1949, this gracious movement began on the Isle of Lewis. Two old women, one of them 84 years of age and the other 82, one of them stone blind, were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own parish. It was true that not a single young person attended public worship. Not a single young man or woman went to church. And those two women were greatly concerned, and they made it a special matter of prayer. A verse gripped them. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. They were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so much time in prayer twice a week. On Tuesday, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening and remained on their knees until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage. One night, one of the sisters had a vision. Now remember, in revival, God works in wonderful ways. A vision came to one of them, and in the vision she saw the church of her fathers crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and there was a stranger, an unknown minister, standing in the pulpit. And she was so impressed by the vision that she sent for the parish minister the next day. And of course, he, knowing the two sisters, Knowing that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responded to their invitation and came to the cottage. That morning, one of the sisters said to the minister, You must do something about this. I suggest you call your elders together and that you spend at least two nights in prayer each week with us. Tuesday and Friday, if you gather your elders together, you can meet in a barn the blacksmith is letting us use. And as you pray there, we will pray also. Well, that was what happened. The minister called the church elders together and seven of them met in that barn to pray on Tuesday and Friday nights. And the two old women got on their knees and prayed right alongside them. 
Well, that continued for some weeks. Indeed, I believe almost a month and a half until one night. Now, this is what I'm anxious for you to get a hold of. One night, they were kneeling there in the barn, pleading the promise, I will pour out water on him that is thirsty, floods upon the dry ground. When one young man, a deacon in the church, got up and read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. And then the young man closed his Bible. And looking down at the minister and the others praying there, he said this, maybe crude words, perhaps not so crude in Gaelic language. He said, it seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted his two hands. And I'm telling you, just as the minister told it to me, he lifted up his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. And that young man fell to his knees and was slain in the spirit. Now, don't ask me to explain this because I can't. He fell into a trance and was lying on the floor of the barn. And in the words of the minister, at that moment, he and the elders were gripped by the conviction that a God-sent revival must ever be related to holiness, but must ever be related to godliness. And the pastor asked, Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival. That was the conviction. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish and an awareness of God gripped the community such as hadn't been known for over a hundred years. An awareness of God, that's revival. That's revival. And on the following day, the looms were silent, the tractors were stilled, little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves wholly to God, thinking on eternal things gripped by eternal realities. Now, I wasn't on the island when that happened, but again, one of the sisters sent for the minister and she said to him, I think you ought to invite someone to the parish. I cannot give you a name, but God must have someone in his mind because I saw a stranger in the pulpit and that man must be somewhere. Well, the minister was going to one of uh, our great conventions in Scotland that week. At that convention, he met a young man who was a student in college. And knowing this young man was a God-fearing man, a man with a message, he invited him to the island. Won't you come for a 10 days, a 10 day special effort? We have had so many of them over the past couple of years, but we feel that something is happening in the parish and we would like for you to come and attend. But the minister said, no, I don't feel that I am the man. But quite recently, there has been a very remarkable move in Glasgow under the ministry of a man by the name of Campbell, Duncan Campbell. I would suggest you send for him. Now, at that time, I was in college in Edinburgh. 
It wasn't very easy for me to leave, but it was decided that I should go for 10 days. We were going to have a 10-day meeting. I shall never forget the night that I arrived at the piers on the mail steamer. I was standing in the presence of the minister, whom I'd never met, and two of the church elders also that I did not know. The minister turned to me and said, I know, Duncan Campbell, that you are very tired. You have been traveling all day by train to begin with and then by steamer. And I am sure that you are ready for your supper and ready for your bed. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind just coming by our meeting at the parish. If you would be prepared to just address briefly at the parish at nine o'clock tonight on our way home. It will be a short meeting and then we will make for the parsonage and you will get your supper and your bed and rest until tomorrow evening. Well, it will be of interest to you to know that I never got my supper that night. We got to the church about a quarter till nine to find about 300 people gathered. I would say about 300 people. And I gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting, a sense of God, a consciousness of his spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So I pronounced the benediction and we were all leaving the church. It was about a quarter till 11. Just as I'm walking down the aisle, along with the young deacon who had read the psalm in the barn, he suddenly stood in the aisle and looked up to heaven. God, he said, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. God, you cannot fail us. He fell to his knees in the aisle. He is still praying, and then he fell face down. Just then the door opened. It was about 11 o'clock. The door of the church opened and the local blacksmith, Donald Smith Jr., came back into the church and he said, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour out water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it. He's done it. And when I went to the door of the church, I saw a congregation of about 600 people standing outside. 600 people. Where did they come from? What had happened? I believe that that very night, God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the village of Barvas. Over 100 young people were at the dance in the parish hall, and they weren't thinking of God or eternity. God was not in their thoughts. They were there to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon that dance hall. The music ceased and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague and they made for the church. Now they were standing outside and yes, they saw lights on in the church. That was the house of God and they were going to it and they went. Men and women who'd gone to bed, rose, dressed, and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity, no mention of it. Nobody was calling out to them, but God took the situation in hand. Oh, he became his own publicity agent. A hunger and thirst gripped the people. And now they were standing outside the church. 600 people standing outside the church. The man, the blacksmith, Donald Smith, turned to me and he said, I think that we need to sing a psalm. And they sang, and they sang, and they sang. 
verse after verse. Oh, what singing, what singing. And then the doors were opened. Now the church was crowded. The church could seat 800. And now it was packed to capacity with people standing outside. And it was nearing midnight. I managed to make my way back through the crowd along the aisle toward the pulpit. And I found a young woman. She happened to be a grammar school teacher lying prostrate on the floor of the, the church praying, Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh Lord, is there mercy for me? She had been one of those young people at the dance hall, but now she was lying on the floor of the church crying to God for mercy. That meeting continued until four o'clock in the morning. I couldn't tell you how many people were saved that night, but of this I am sure and certain that at least five young men who were saved in that church that night are today ministers in the Church of Scotland, having gone through university and college. At four o'clock, we decided to make head or head back to the parsonage. Of course, you understand we make no appeals. You never need to make an appeal or an altar call in revival. The roadsides became an altar. We just we would just leave men and women to make their own way to God themselves. After all, that is the right way. God can look after His own. Oh, God can look look after his own. And when God takes a situation in hand, I tell you, he does a much better job of it than we do. We do. He's much better. He's much better at it. So we left the church with everyone there weeping and praying and getting right with God. And just as I was leaving the church, a young man came to me and said, Mr. Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station with me. And I said, the police station? What's wrong? He said, oh, there's nothing wrong, but there must be at least 400 people gathered around the police station just now. So we headed over there. The sergeant there was a God-fearing man. He was in the meeting earlier that evening until he had to report for work. But people knew that this was a man that feared God. And next to the police station was the cottage where the two old women lived, Peggy and Christine Smith. I believe that that had something to do with the magnet, the power that drew those people there. There was a busload at the, that meeting, a busload that had come over 12 miles to be there. Now, if anyone would ask them today, why? Why did you go to Barvis? How did it happen? Who arranged it? They couldn't tell you. But they found themselves grouping together and someone saying, what about going to Barvis? I don't know, but I have a hunger in my heart to go to Barvis. I can't explain it. They couldn't explain it. But God had the situation in hand. This is revival, people. This is a sovereign act of God. This is the moving of God's spirit. I believe in answer to the prevailing prayer of men and women who believe that God was a covenant-keeping God and that he must be true to his promises. I went along. I went along to that meeting at the jail. As I'm walking along the country road, we had to walk about a mile. I heard someone praying by the roadside. I could hear this man crying to God for mercy. I went over and there were four young men on their knees at the roadside. Yes, they had been at that dance hall, but they were now on the side of the road crying for God and for mercy. One of them was under the influence of alcohol. But a young man, I think he was probably 20 years of age, but that night God saved him and today he is the parish minister 
university trained, college trained, a man of God, converted in that revival with 11 of his church elders serving alongside him, a wonderful congregation. Well, he was saved that night. So I got to the police station. I saw something that will be with me as long as I live. I didn't preach. There wasn't need of preaching. We didn't sing. The people were crying out to God for mercy. Oh, the confessions that were made. There was one old man crying out, Oh God, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. This is the Holy Ghost conviction. Now, mind you, that was on the very first night of a mighty demonstration that shook the island. Oh, let me say again, that wasn't the beginning of the revival. Revival began in a prayer barn meeting. Revival began with an answer of God. Revival began when the Holy Ghost began to grip men and women. And that's how it began. Well, those are the words of Duncan Campbell. His message is so refreshing and, of course, very convicting to me. The story is much too long to finish here today. I will finish Duncan Campbell's story on tomorrow's podcast. Thank you for joining me this week as we look at the Great Hebrides Revival of 1949 to 1952. My prayer is for a revival that will sweep across our hearts and minds and our churches and our nation and our world. Let's trust God to give us one more chance to be right before him. I hope you'll join me tomorrow for part two of Duncan Campbell's powerful message on what happened at the Hebrides Revival. And then I hope on Thursday to be able to give you some of the testimonies that we heard when we were there. And then I'll close it up with what brings revival on Friday. So this has been Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'll see you tomorrow on Truth Matters.